Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And hello and good morning. You are on Dirt Radio with Colin. We're broadcasting live, as usual, from 3CR Studio in Collingwood. Dirt Radio is a show sponsored by Friends of the Earth, Melbourne. So you can check us out at www.fo.org.au. The planet is warming and our cold barons and friendly politics are loving it. But a bunch of rascals are saying no. We used lock-on, tree seats, tripod, pipe lock, so many devices to just stop this cold invasion. But now the must to tackle the planet killer is to attack the cold trains. Sounds like a kick-ass Western movie, but it's true. Jim and two other activists have done it a couple weeks ago, and today we'll learn how to do the same. But to start, we had like a breaking news, what's happening in Melbourne Uni right now, it's pretty awesome. So there is a great collective called Fossil Free Uni. They are at the moment flooding the campus of Melbourne Uni. So they're occupying one of the lawns with tents ready to slip over. Why? They strongly request, as usual, the uni to divest from fossil fuels. They're going to run workshops on divestment and on activism the whole day today and surely tomorrow, I reckon, if the the camp stays on. It's uh, actually a great occupation. They're going to have food and music tonight. So you can definitely go and join, support them and learn how to to be a a climate change activist, I reckon. So check them out on their Facebook page for... A lot of information is going to be the Facebook page. Jim is Fossil Free MU for yep. Melbourne Uni. Yep. They also got a website, isn't it? I don't know. They got, they've got a fossil, uh, fossil Free MU Facebook, so that'd be worth checking out for any updates. Yeah, and we're going to see like all the pictures and everything. So, man, uh, let's go back to what happened to you a couple of weeks ago. Um, could you tell us, just to start with, how you be- did you become an activist? How I became an activist? Oh, well, um, I started a fair while ago uh, in, the, uh, in the kind of free trade era when that was starting to kick up and the World Trade Organization was trying to uh, start globalization um, in a mass- on a massive scale um, across the world. That was kind of where I started in activism and then started getting in through um, Occupy movement, um, forests, and eventually to climate change um, because it seems to be the biggest overarching issue that's going to affect everyone. So that's where I've been putting most of my energy lately. Is it because you were close to the to the planet? or w- w- What gives you just a little click, you know, to turn you as a, as a mainstream person who's just like consuming and being feeling happy in this capitalism world has a kick-ass activist uh, i wouldn't call myself a kick-ass activist but um i i've been um 
Yeah, I guess it started really with being dissatisfied with how things are. I, you know, you see a lot of injustices across the world and in and locally as well. Um, yeah, a lot of dissatisfaction with that and realizing that there's not many people that are really doing anything like apart from other activists. So kind of yeah, joining with them and trying to do my bit as well um, was really the main motivation. So trying to do your best, it leads you at like a couple of weeks ago to stop a coal train. That's yeah. what we're going to talk a little bit about. You've done that with like two women, what, joining you? Uh, yeah, Anissa and Lena, good friends of mine, um, also took part in the action. So like the three of you, you stop one coal train. We'll talk a little bit more about it to, to get the big pictures. Which mine did you target? Uh, we mainly targeted Moore's Creek Mine, um, which is owned by Whitehaven. Um, and, yeah, we, we decided to, that they were the main targets. But um, in doing so, we were able to affect a lot of other mines as well. So the infamous Moore's Creek Mine, you were part of the flak action? Yeah. That so, was the flak action? How yeah, so frontline front action on coal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, part of that camp and that campaign. Yeah, and that was one of the uh, the actions of, of that that um, that week. So that's not the first time uh, some activists attack a coal train. Could you tell us a little bit how did you uh, how did you manage to do it? Uh, how did we manage to stop the train? Yes, exactly. I mean, is it just like running on the tra- train's line and just like waving finger crossed that the train driver is going to see you? Is it different like technique? How did you approach? Yeah, so we decided to make sure it was um, obviously safety was pretty paramount. So we didn't want to just run onto a random point in the tracks. We knew there would be a section where the trains would have to slow down and stop. Um, and so that's where we kind of decided to to do the action where the train would already already be slowing down and, and doing that. So why did why does the train have to stop? Yeah. Uh, the train has to stop because it needs an extra locomotive attached to the back of it to push it up a certain incline in the tracks. Okay. Um, so there's a certain section where yeah that needs to happen and. That's the point. So the trains, because you say to me that the trains had three local already, yep. but they need like a fourth or maybe even a fifth one to help them pushing. So the trains must stop here yep. to go. So this like, yeah, you had like 100% chance to, to, have a, to have a train on the right time. Exactly. So it saved us having to, um, you know, just stop a moving train that was already barreling down tracks. It was already, was already slowing down a stop and wait, wait till... Um, yeah, it got a signal to keep going. So before that happened, we um, we decided to uh, do it after five o'clock in the afternoon to make sure that there wouldn't be any um, affected passenger trains on that line, um, which was really important to us that we didn't want to affect locals um, that were just getting, you know, to and from um, and, and affect the public. So it was particularly just concentrated to a target, the, the night trains, which are the coal ones. And, um, yeah... Once we got there, we decided to uh, to do a bit of a jog and yeah, run. To do down. a bit of a jog, so like you you were way you, you saw these trains coming up. That was like a little bit. I reckon you could not really like wait it as close as you really wanted to just like get into the train. So you had to run. Yeah, yeah, we had to we had to run a little bit. We we knew that we didn't want to um, overestimate the amount of time that it would be staying there. So we we ran down with all of our gear on our backs and backpacks, and um, the three of us uh, got to the second ca- uh, the second train 
um, section and um, got on board. Uh, did you have to carry, did you bring some uh, locking devices? Yeah, we did have some lock-on devices with us. Um, Do you want to say like which type of locking devices? Like, uh, it was, they were, they were steel locking devices. Um, yeah, so heavy steel. stuff. Yeah, it was heavy stuff that we, um, we attached ourselves to. Um, so we had to bring them along with us as well. So, yeah, running with some pretty heavy gear. So I can imagine this something is around like 10, 15 kilos stuff. And so you can imagine guys like running maybe, let's say, like 100 meters with a bloody 15 kilo. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. must be huge. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was probably a little bit of a, a workout um, in the late evening, but it was, it was worth it. So, um, any security? Did you see anyone? No, we didn't see any security at that location. Just the, um, yeah, just the tram drive, the train drivers, which were alerted to the fact that we were going to be, um, being, you know, occupying the roof of one of their, um, yeah. The stage in you did you had inter in, an interaction at that point with the with the drivers? Uh, we didn't. There was support crew that were able to communicate to them what was happening, and so they let them know. And yeah, the yeah. train drivers seemed pretty okay. They didn't seem upset or anything. They seemed like yeah, like it wasn't too big of a deal for them, which was good. So, yeah, um, they still get paid. It's just like there is no everything is non-violent, so it's pretty peaceful and and relax even if there is a lot of a lot of tension and adrenaline yeah exactly yeah the, because of the fact that it was a non-violent action and um yeah they were alerted and they knew that it wasn't personally attacking them it was just the industry itself they were they were kind of okay with it so um you know i'm sure they would have preferred us to get off but they weren't they weren't going to get angry at us or anything so that was good uh we climbed up the ladder and found a way of getting up onto the roof is of, it high Yeah, yeah, it's pretty high. I mean, from the ground, you'd say it was probably about five, six meters high off the ground. So, yeah, we, we managed a way to get up there Good job. safely um, between the three of us. Must um, be so clean also. I reckon like a cold train, so <laughs> <we> just like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely very, very clean up there. No, it was, it was pretty disgusting, eh? There was a lot of coal and soot up there. So, yeah, everything we touched just made our clothes and hands pretty black, but... That was that was fine. That so was, that was from all the dust was coming from all the the wagons attached. Yeah, the I'd, carriage. I'd imagine it'd be a, yeah. So yeah. and just a little point: a coal train they don't have to uh, to cover the carriage. No, no. Like we have to do at the back of a ute when we carry any gravels or anything. So every time a coal train just travels, they just like put all this dust that you experienced on the top of the loco. Uh, everywhere, all around. Yeah, I'd imagine a lot of that dust gets flung around um, the countryside as it's traveling through, um, definitely. And yeah, it was pretty bad stuff. It was really, I mean, yeah, just really hard to wash off. So that stuff, yeah, it's pretty pretty awful to experience. But yeah, the, the top of that locomotive was completely covered in it, in a thick layer. So uh, roughly what time did you arrive on a, on a, did you set up yourself on a local? Yeah, we got up there around six o'clock around six yep in the afternoon in the afternoon so 6 p.m we were we were pretty safe and secure up there we um you know had the lock-ons up there with us but didn't attach straight away mm -hmm. we um yeah we just kind of chilled out and put put a um, big banner up along the side of the locomotive um saying open cuts never heal which is a reference to open cut mining Nice. You'll see that picture on uh, on a show. I'll put it on um, on Thwissier and also on a Thwiss on a Dirt Radio uh, Facebook page. Yeah. Okay, guys, if you want to look at it. So you just like chill out for um yeah for a fair while. Um, I think it wasn't until um 
around 10 p.m. That's uh, search and rescue turned up. So police had turned up before that, but we didn't have too much interaction with them. Um, and then, yes. Did they try to talk to you? Yeah, there was a little bit of talk from them, but we didn't um, communicate too much to them. Um, we generally just decided that we would, you know, stay put and not communicate much. Yeah, so that's one of the big tips from uh, non-violent direct action, saying this is like trying to communicate as little as possible with police. And uh, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's always a good idea if you're doing any type of activism that you... You know, the less you say, the better in terms of, um, you know, anything that can be used later in court. So I uh, should it go to court. Um, but, yeah, it's always a good idea to, to not say anything um, that you don't have to, especially if they haven't said you're under arrest as of yet. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we did that. We, we stayed pretty quiet and, um, yeah, had, had a good time up there. It was pretty chilled and relaxed. Um, like I said, good mates hang up there, up there with. So it was great. Um, Did you know at that time that you were stopping six other coal trains? Uh, we knew that we were stopping a couple other coal trains. We weren't sure how many. Um, not long after, we were told by some people that there was about three that were down the line that were waiting as well. And then on the official police report that we got at the end was uh, 15 coal trains that we'd stopped altogether over the whole night that we were there. So 15 Yeah, 15 coal, coal trains. trains. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a lot of coal. That's uh, a lot of coal. Yeah. Not sure if that was accurate or not, but that's what they said. Yeah, it's still like a great idea. Maybe if the cops say 15, maybe it's between like 10 and 16. <laughs> Who knows? <but laughs> or something yeah. like that, but it's still huge. Wow. Is the... Um, so the, um, the rescue came on board. Maybe what I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to play a community announcement right now and we'll go back in one minute to talk about all the cops, police rescue intervention, what happened when you, because you went, you've been arrested with uh, Anissa and Lina, what happened and also why did you choose uh, to target trains instead of directly going into the pit. Thank you guys, stay tuned on Dirt Radio. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street, Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves, heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, In a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the east-west tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing. I was born here. I will die here. I am not moving. So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying... And you're back on Dirt Radio, a show sponsored by Friends of the Earth, you with Colin and Jim. And we're currently talking how to tackle coal industry by targeting the weakest part, transport. 
So we stopped the the story when search and rescue was coming up. So could you tell us what time they came and uh, what was the interaction with that these guys? Yeah, sure. Um, so at about 10 p.m., uh, we saw the search and rescue vehicle turn up. Um, at that point, we decided that was the time that we would lock on. Um, so we we all got together and, and did that um, using the um, metal devices that we had, steel devices. Um, so uh, at that point, we wouldn't be able to be... Um, it wouldn't be easy for us to get off that train at that point once we're locked on, obviously. So... Yeah. Um, they made their way up onto the train, the search and rescue. Um, they brought a ladder up, got up there, and they at the time we were all feeling really confident. Um, we'd had a chat with each other and kind of felt okay with the situation, but they were definitely trying to be intimidating. Um, first up off the off the bat, they were definitely, um, I guess you could say, uh, strongly motivating us to get off without having to cut the lock-on devices. Um, Could you get a little bit more precise or give like <laughs> a, one or two examples, like strongly motivating you is like uh, they were just type of pressures they were using? Yeah, look, they were just saying that, you know, they were saying a lot of uh, things that would affect us uh, in the future that we don't, you know, we've found that isn't the case. With oh, this classic like traveling overseas and visa exactly. and exactly. working with children's type of tactic. Yeah, exactly. For some reason, they <laughs> thought of some, I don't know, because we weren't talking they thought some we were all overseas people or something they didn't they didn't know if we understood the language or something because we weren't communicating much but um they um yeah they definitely wanted uh, us to get off there without having to deal with any any um tools so they were saying yeah you know if you don't go if you don't get off now you'll be if you if you're not an australian citizen you'll be get sent straight back to your other country if you are an australian citizen you won't be able to travel to other countries you know that's it you know you, you've got to get off now which yeah, yeah like yeah, lies it's never worked like that yeah exactly we heard it all before so yeah <laughs> um, we, were, we were pretty confident that that wasn't going to be the case so we um we just stayed where we were um and yeah, at some point they decided um, that that tactic was not going to work for us. That intimidating us and telling us that, they, that you know that it was hard for them to get off, and or, you know it was it was um, yeah it was fine. Uh, we we waited there for a bit, and they came back up with tools and angle grinders and stuff like that. That's it, I yep. reckon, because like you had your big steel device. Yep, they brought up the angle grinder and oh, it looked really cool. You know, there were sparks flying. It was nighttime at that point, so it was past 10 p.m. It was quite dark, so seeing some bright orange sparks flying off into the air was pretty cool. Bit of yeah. a fireworks show. Did they cover you well? Did you feel safe when they were using this type of tools around you? Or Because it must be pretty impressive, plus the adrenaline must be really high. You know, you got the police, you've been pushed strongly pushed to unlock and now they're coming with an angle grinder at 10 centimeters of your arm i mean like you need to be really brave to hold on uh did you feel they were professional and they were looking after you when they were doing the yeah definitely i think everyone that um chooses to go down this path um in the future if they should decide um to just be aware that yeah look they, that's their job that's their that's their profession they've done it a hundred times they've practiced that they're they're ready for it and they know the best and safest ways to do those things um yeah. so me I, I was aware of that and so i was i was okay i was pretty confident that they weren't going to do anything but they did cover us well they used blankets to cover us so the sparks wouldn't hit us directly um they had water there to cool off the steel to make sure that the steel wouldn't wouldn't burn or anything like that 
Um, and in either case, it will, you know, it will, it's not that hot anyway. So it's it's quite quite you know at the best the, the steel was mildly warm, um, which was nice because it was a cold night. So it was actually not <laughs> not that bad a feeling. Um, so yeah, I mean, but they did they did intimidate exact opposite they were saying that you know this is quite dangerous and they could injure us and you know this, this spark could hurt you yeah. or the hot metal could hurt us or something like that doing as much intimidation for us to to let go of, as as quickly yes. as possible um guess you put pressure on them like walking at night time with like on the top of a local with angle grinder or yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's just like yeah you put the the training you know on uh yeah yeah so so that i was pretty i was pretty okay and they they seemed to be um really professional about it and they they cut things um very safely and uh yeah our safety was never in any danger and and wasn't injured through the process at all and i was confident that it wasn't going to happen um so it was great they they um they got us off eventually um off our devices um at which case to get off the train safely um we um didn't really opt for their original idea um so they brought a um what do you mean you did then well they the original idea was for them to just for us to crawl down the ladder yeah um and we decided for whatever reason that that wasn't ideal um for us situation yeah like um, i mean like you decided not to stay there to uh, not unlock yourself i reckon like. um yeah once we were unlocked um Yeah, we weren't too confident about the ladder idea, so they decided to bring up a stretcher. Yeah. Um, so this, they hoisted a stretcher up on top of the train um, and had to uh, tie us down into these stretchers. Um, so each one, one by one. So with like fir- ropes? Yeah, with ropes and So you and were straps. like a little sausage? Pretty much, yeah, wrapped in there pretty tightly. Like a little, yeah. Um, Man, so you gave, us, you gave them a hard time. Yeah, like a little vegan sausage, pretty much just wrapped <laughs> in, in, in that um, stretcher. So uh, I was the first one to get tied up into it. So they grabbed me, um, tied me down, and um, yeah, then they hoisted us onto this ladder with a rope and then like lowered us down using the, the rope to like kind of leverage it down slowly. Use the use the ladder as a track essentially for the stretcher, and so it was a re- bit of a rough ride, but that uh, was fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I was the first one to get down, and which at that point at the bottom of the train, um, they informed me that I was under arrest at that point once I was off the train. Yes. Um, and um, yeah, I was put in handcuffs at that point and led to um, the the divvy van. At that point, and, and put in put in there. Um, at that point, I could see through the window that they were, um, you know, tying up Anissa at that point after me, and then after that, um, Lena as well. And they were put in um, separate cages. Yeah. Okay. So at, at what time did they did they did the train went back? Uh, well, I didn't see the train take off at that point, mm-hmm. but by the time we were all um, in the in the divisional vans in the divi vans um it would have been about just past midnight so we'd yeah we'd stop the trains at the very least till past midnight till till the next day till the next morning so um, so because oh that's so cool because like the train had to just like go back plus the local had to push the train need to just wait for the second train and the third and the fourth and 15 trains like that yeah i'd have like a nightmare in logistics yeah exactly because those trains go about just about one one and a half hours every every yeah one hour and 40 i think it is they they travel so trying to get those trains back in the schedule would have been a bit nightmarish the next day when they would have had those trains running all through the night so yeah yeah, um, so you've been arrested 
Yeah, so we were arrested at that point um, and drove uh, and were driven down to the next. We're driven down to the next um, police station, I think, um, and uh, put in lockup, um, which was nice. You know, it was pretty chilled. <laughs> yeah, they had blankets and stuff for us, which was which was nice. And um, we got to stay with. I got to stay with one of my mates, and also, um, yeah. So that was good. We um we hanged out. Um, we hung out all night, um, just okay. relaxing in the in lockup. Um, originally refused bail, um, and then uh, in that the was part of your strategy to refuse bail. No, they refused bail on us. So the oh, police, they refused bail on you. Okay, yeah, the police refused bail on us, which was a bit unusual. But um, uh, you refused. Yeah. Yeah, you but they but then in the morning they um, reinstated the bail. Um, so yeah, we were released. Um, all of us, I think, I was the last one released, and that was at nine o'clock in the morning. Okay. Yeah, the next day. So yeah, we got to spend the night there. You know, nice. I would have preferred to spend the night up on a on a train. It was a nice view up there, the stars. But yeah. still, it wasn't bad. Good job, man. Uh, we didn't talk about like a support crew, but I reckon you were not on your own on the top of this train. You had some you had some friendly crew uh, looking after you. Absolutely, it was actually one of the best things. Um, it was great. Um, we had a fantastic support crew of um, people and friends that we knew that we were able to um, provide. Um, things like liaise with the police, um, take photos, and also just be there for for support. You know, we could hear them. They were they were you know yelling out to us. Um, you know, support, which was great. Um, even though the police didn't want them there and were quite agitated with their presence, they stuck by us, and that was great. It was, <laughs> it was awesome to hear. We had we had some good times with, with knowing those support crew was around us. So, what the what have you been charged with? Uh, we've been charged with three charges. Um, one was, um, one was obstructing a train or stopping, stopping a train or locomotive. Another one was being, um, within a restricted train line and another one was hindering police. Yeah. So those are the three main charges that we got. Um, we also got a fine for offensive behavior, which was because we took leaks while on the train. Um, you took what? Like a leak. We had, we, yeah, we had um, some fines. A um, leak? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, a leak. Uh, sorry, man. It's my, I'm not totally, you know, like, it's my foreign things. I thought you brought a vegetable or something. Yeah, we, yeah. 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 Is the, what's the response, what's the company uh, had to, I reckon you might have, like, disrupted the company a lot? What did you? What happened? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, we, apparently after that, so, so, yeah, those were the three charges we got, and uh, in the charge sheets was also s uh, estimated that we cost the mine company up to three million dollars for that. Boom! Uh, so. Fifteen trains for roughly the whole night, a mess in logistic, and three million dollars. Yeah, that's the rough estimate that the police gave to us. So yeah, three you were three of you just climbed on the local when it stopped. You stayed there for six hours and you disrupt the all the whole company for for like the whole night. This is wholesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's I mean that's that's what's been reported um, from the police. So that's yeah, I didn't see it with my own eyes, but apparently that's the case. So yeah, that's um, awesome. The weakest point. I mean, like transport, it's also the weakest point. They got so much security in the in the pit. 
the, it's really hard to access. It takes so much time and effort to hike in the forest, to set up like tree seats, things. But in, uh, in an afternoon, you can set up an action and uh, climb on a loco and just disrupt for $3 million White Heaven Company. Yeah, yes, yeah. Man. Yeah, which is great. You know, every every um, cent that they lose means that they have to, um, you know, re 